The media can't get enough of Trump aide Sam Nunberg. Social media goes crazy, and intersectionality makes people even crazier than usual. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. So cable news yesterday was wild, thanks to Sam Funberg. I mean, Sam Nunberg, of course, the former Trump aide who decided to go on every TV network and basically vomit his thoughts everywhere. And the media just kept featuring him. We'll talk about all of that. Plus, I want to get to the West Virginia teacher strike, which has really kind of avoided the major news, which is kind of amazing. I also want to talk about something brewing inside left-wing circles that is really ugly. And I'm not just talking about the intersectionality that animates college campuses. I'm talking about something beyond that. We'll get to all of that. First, I want to say thank you to our sponsors over at Quip. So, Quip is the best place to go if you are looking for a solid electric toothbrush. And the reason that Quip is better than other electric toothbrushes is it packs just the right amount of vibration into a slimmer design at a fraction of the cost of bulkier traditional electric brushes. Well, your teeth health actually matters a lot. In fact, it connects pretty solidly according to research with your heart health. And there's a reason why you need an electric toothbrush as opposed to just a manual toothbrush. This toothbrush from Quip works better than any of the others and it's easy to travel with as well. So I'm on the road a lot, unfortunately, and that means that I've got the Quip electric toothbrush with me fortunately, all the time, because we're not going to carry around that, around that big bulky charger thing. It has guiding pulses, alerting you when to switch sides, making brushing the right amount effortless. It also comes with a mount that suctions right to your mirror and unsticks to use as a cover for hygienic travel anywhere, whether it's going in your gym bag or your carry-on. And because the thing that cleans your mouth should also be clean, that means they have a subscription plan, and it refreshes your brush on a dentist-recommended schedule. They deliver new brush heads every three months, for just five bucks, including free shipping worldwide. So you never have to worry about whether you've been using that same brush head for three years now, and it's disgusting. Right now, Quip sends something to you every three months. You just pop on the new head on, on Quip, and you're ready to go. Quip is backed by a network of over 10,000 dental professionals, and there is a reason why. Quip starts right now at 25 bucks. And if you go to getquip.com Shapiro, getquip.com Shapiro, you get your first refill pack free with a Quip electric toothbrush. That's your first refill pack absolutely free at getquip.com slash Shapiro, G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash Shapiro. Use that slash Shapiro so they know what we sent you again. It is the best toothbrush in the business, and they will send you these refills that make it really easy to ensure that your toothbrush is clean. Quip is just 25 bucks, and if you go to getquip.com slash Shapiro, you get that first refill pack absolutely free, and it lets them know that we sent you. Okay, so yesterday, the media went totally nuts over a guy named Sam Nunberg. So who is Sam Nunberg? So I had a conversation one time with Sam Nunberg. It was shortly after Sam Nunberg had been fired by the Trump campaign. And he called me up for some reason. I can't remember what it was. And he was, to say it, to say it mildly, a kooky fellow. Who exactly is Sam Nunberg? Well, the Washington Post says Nunberg was an early member of Trump's political team when the mogul's potential candidacy was seen mostly as a stunt. In 2014, as Trump continued a long-running flirtation with higher office, Nunberg was at his side. BuzzFeed says, quote, he comes on a bit strong, as you know, according to Roger Stone, right? Roger Stone is a, one of the more disgusting political operatives in the business. He says, I mean, within a week of my meeting him, he was going around telling people I was his mentor. He's got chutzpah, as they say. Well, Nunberg is 36 years old, and he picked up a law degree from Turo College in 2009. Apparently, according to BuzzFeed, his first foray into presidential campaigning came in 2007 when he worked as a volunteer for the Romney campaign while attending law school. And he was put in charge of organizing turnout for the New York City GOP straw poll. And he helped pull up an upset win for Romney over Rudy Giuliani. He then went to work for the American Center for Law and Justice, which is a, a Christian conservative legal foundation run by Jay Sekulow, who works for uh, Trump right now. And of course, uh, he has made the rounds in the media. He was ousted in the middle of the last campaign by the Trump campaign. Uh, the campaign apparently thought that he was, uh, he was a, a destructive person. Hope Hicks said, quote, He's a highly self-destructive individual who makes routine calls begging for his job back. This is the interview of a desperate person who is trying to hang on and stay relevant. The Trump campaign downgraded him to low-level part-time consultant at the time of his firing. His first meeting with Trump apparently is on tape. This is from when he was a kid, and apparently he met Trump at a WWE event, which is perfectly fitting. Here is tape from that time. Donald Trump invited the young Sam Nunberg right into the heart of the action. We were sitting right behind Trump, and he had us move to the first row at another section. And it was actually funny because I ended up getting on the video for WrestleMania with my father. We were doing like the Bushwhacker. You know, I know, Gorilla, I noticed you the other night walking through the casino <laughs> looking like that. So there is Sam Nunberg, very young Trump political advisor. Uh, and apparently he was sued during the last election cycle. Trump sued him for like $10 million, claiming he broke a confidentiality agreement or at least threatened to sue him. So, you know, Sam Nunberg is a colorful character, to say the least. Well, 
He's now being investigated by the Mueller investigation because the Mueller investigation is talking to every single person ever, uh, including, they haven't talked to me, but I think I may be the only person in America they've left to talk to. So they want to talk to Sam Nunberg. So Nunberg decides that it's worthwhile to go on every television show he can possibly find and go kind of crazy. So he goes on MSNBC and he explains that if Mueller wants to interview him, he's not going to do the interview. In fact, he doesn't mind being sent to jail, no big deal. So it starts off with this on MSNBC. If they're trying to build a case against Roger, I'm not gonna be part of it. I'm not, Roger didn't do anything. Roger didn't do anything except get treated like crap by Donald Trump, the president. You keep saying you don't think there'll be a consequence. What if the consequence Whoa, for that is going to jail, Sam? They're not going to send me to jail. You know what, Mr. Mueller, if he wants to send me to jail, he can send me to jail, and then I'll, and then I'll laugh about it, and, and I'll make a bigger spectacle than I am on your TV show right now. Well, sir, I don't know what they're going to do. Okay, there was a woman named Susan McDougal who, during the Obama administration, refused to testify, and she ended up going to jail. So this would not be the first time that somebody has refused to testify or talk to the FBI, and they've ended up in jail. And then it gets even worse. So Nunberg apparently was on CNN with Jake Tapper, and he actually starts asking Jake Tapper whether he should cooperate with Mueller. So he's just going crazy live on TV. He called into every major television show. He called into New York City one yesterday. Here he is with Jake Tapper. And look at the incredulity on Tapper's face. And uh, we want to hear uh, Do your side I of it. you think I should cooperate with? Should I spend 80 hours going over my emails, Jake? If it were me, I would. I mean, if he's just asking my opinion, just because it sounds like a pain, but he is the special counsel, and he does have the, but why the long do arm I have of the law. To produce every email. Yeah, I talk to Steve Bannon and Roger Stone eight times a day. Do you know what I mean? Why do I have to go over it? Why do I have to produce sometimes, them every email? Sometimes like life and special prosecutors are not fair. <laughs> I guess I would, I would cooperate were it me. But you know, I'm a different breed of cat. <laughs> Jake Tapper just puzzled by life right here. And then Sam Number calls into another show, and he explains that. President Trump really didn't go far enough during the campaign that President Trump should have had Bill Clinton's alleged, in, uh, uh, alleged illegitimate black child at the debate. This is him calling into MSNBC and talking with Katie Turr. It wasn't some smart idea that we had for us to be uh, fired and then we were gonna get the emails from Russia. If Roger and me were there, Katie, we would have had the Benghazi parents there at the first debate. We would have had Bill Clinton's illegitimate black child there at the second debate, and we would have had the women there. Okay, so he's just gone wild on TV. Yesterday, he calls Sarah Huckabee Sanders a fat slob. He suggests that there's something there to the Trump-Russia investigation. He says he's not going to talk to Mueller, but he thinks that there's something going on with the Trump-Russia investigation. He thinks that Trump probably colluded with Russia. Here's Nunberg yesterday saying that Lou Dobbs and Jeanine Pirro and Sean Hannity are going to be very embarrassed when all of the Trump-Russia stuff comes out. And by the way, you're going to be fine when it comes out what he did, but people like Sean Hannity, Lou Dobbs, Jeanine Pirro, they're going to have to be. They're going to be very embarrassed when it comes out. Guess. All right. Yes. So the big question here was: Is Sam Nunberg a crazy person? Right. That's what everybody who's watching yesterday was watching this go on, and they were thinking: Is this person a crazy person? And if he is a crazy person, is it moral to put a crazy person on TV just to get President Trump? And you can see that members of the media themselves, people who are interviewing him, are suggesting that he's either drunk or high or crazy on TV yesterday. Ari Melber over at MSNBC actually asked Sam Nunberg if he is, uh, if he's feeling stressed out because he says people are worried about you, Sam. You and I have both been around these types of situations, these types of probes. They can be very stressful, even for people who are completely innocent, did nothing wrong. It can be stressful. Uh, how are you holding up? And do you want to take more time to think this through? Could you change your mind? I'm not going to answer something so wide as this. This is so ridiculous. I'm not going to give them every email I had with Steve Bannon and Roger Stone. I communicate with them every day. And are you, are you feeling okay? Are you feeling stressed out by this? No. And I'm feeling kind of, I want to see what Mr. Mueller does. It's never been done before. Okay, and then he goes on Aaron Burnett on CNN, and Aaron Burnett says, you smell like you are drunk on the air right now. Like, this is an actual thing that happened on TV yesterday. But, you know, I've, I've interviewed yes. you before. You're sitting very close to me. Yes. We talked earlier about what people in the White House were saying about you. Yeah, talking about whether you, you, were, you were drinking or on drugs or whatever they uh, had happened today. Um, talking to you, yeah. I have smelled alcohol. Well, I, I have not had a drink. You haven't had a drink, so that's no. not true. No. And then he says, but he is on antidepressants. So here is the big question. Okay, there are two big questions. One, does this guy have anything useful to say? The answer seems to be no. Nunberg doesn't have anything useful to say. So the question becomes, why are the media having him on? 
And there's really a larger question, which is, do the media have a responsibility not to put people on TV who are humiliating themselves and making reality TV show spectacles of themselves? And this is a real open question. Right? Because is Nunberg, is it their job to, to actually not put him on the air if he's drunk or if he's crazy? So I would say that Erin Burnett does the worst job here because she actually apparently thinks he's drunk. Presumably, if, if an Obama official walked in completely drunk off his butt and walked into the CNN studios, security would be called. They wouldn't put him on the air. So if Aaron Burnett actually thought that Sam Nunberg was drunk or crazy or off his rocker, why put him on the air? And the answer is because all these people in the media think that Sam Nunberg is going to suddenly drop the bomb about President Trump or because they think that it's humiliating to the Trump administration to have once had somebody like Sam Nunberg working for them. So on the one hand, you have to say that the media, their bias, their attempts to get Trump have gone too far, that there are a lot of members of the media who are so interested in getting Trump or humiliating Trump that they're willing to violate their own journalistic standards. Over at Axios, uh, the journalist there, Jim Vandehey particularly, is ripping into other members of the media, saying that this is just spectacle, that there is no news value to this whatsoever. You're putting on somebody who's clearly having a mental breakdown on national TV, and you're doing so for the ratings and because you hate President Trump. And that wouldn't be a shock. That wouldn't be a shock. I mean, when you look at the media's desperation to get Trump, it really has reached fever pitch. I mean, they are now reporting on things like CNN now traveled to Thailand. They sent somebody to Thailand to dig up clues about Trump. Okay, so first, last month, the network actually sent a reporter to St. Petersburg to literally dig around in a dumpster looking for leads about President Trump. And now they've sent a reporter to Bangkok to speak with a prostitute who claims that she has goods on the Trump camp's alleged collusion with Russia, according to Grabian.com. The woman, her name is Anastasia Vashukovich, who's also described as a sex coach, is currently in prison and hopes that America will offer her asylum in exchange for her story. So CNN promptly sent a reporter over there. His name is Ivan Watson. He met with the woman and reported, quote, she, is, she described herself as a seductress. This woman claims to have evidence of Russian meddling in the U.S. election. The question, is this a desperate ploy to get out of jail? Or as her friend claims, is this young woman truly in danger because she knows too much? Right, so CNN has hyped everything that is possible to hype about Trump and Russia, obviously. And that's pretty damning stuff when it comes to why they're having people like Sam Nunberg on TV. I don't know that that's the whole story, though. And I want to be fair to CNN. I want to be fair to MSNBC. And I'll explain in just a second. First, I want to say thank you to our sponsors over at Dollar Shave Club. So dollarshaveclub.com. These are the folks who will make give you everything you need to feel, look, and smell your best. It's not just that they have the best razors in the business, though they do. It's not just that they have the magical fame, Dr. Carver's Shave Butter. They also have body wash. They have shampoo. They have toothpaste. And of course, those best razors that you have ever used. Uh, those are the razors that shave my beautiful neck each and every evening. I shave at night so that when I get up in the morning, I'm ready to do the show because it's early. Anyway, so go to Dollar Shave Club right now and you get a special deal. Dollar Shave Club for just five bucks with free shipping, you'll get a six blade executive razor plus trial sizes of shave butter, body cleanser, and one wipe Charlie's. Those are the magical butt wipes. They keep those blades coming for a few bucks more per month. Get yours right now, dollarshaveclub.com slash Ben. When you try that travel size kit, you'll know whether you like it or not, and you will, I promise. dollarshaveclub.com slash Ben. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash Ben for just five bucks. Again, you get the fruit plus free shipping. You get six blade executive razor plus those trial sizes of the shave butter, the body cleanser, the one wipe Charlie's. You don't have to go to the drugstore anymore for your soap, for your shampoo, for the razors, for any of that stuff. Instead, you can just sit at home and wait for your Dollar Shave Club package to arrive, which it will, and it will be spectacular, and you will smell great, and you will look great. That's just the way Dollar Shave Club works. DollarShaveClub.com slash Ben, and, uh, and you get our special deal. Plus, the slash Ben lets them know that we sent you. Okay, so obviously the media have an agenda with regard to President Trump, and that agenda is, is pretty obvious. Now, with that said, is there something to be said for the media not actually being supremely responsible for what Sam Nunberg did here. So at The Atlantic, McKay Coppins, who has been following Sam Nunberg for a long time, he's a reporter over at The Atlantic, used to be at BuzzFeed, he has a long piece here about what Sam Nunberg did was actually on purpose. So it says, it was just after 8 p.m. on Monday night, and the suddenly famous Sam Nunberg had phoned me from Dorian's Red Hand Restaurant, a yuppie hangout on Manhattan's Upper East Side, where he was reveling in his triumph. After announcing earlier that day his intention to defy a grand jury subpoena he says he received in the Russia investigation, the former Trump aide had spent the day conducting a manic media blitz, popping up on multiple cable news programs, granting interviews to dozens of journalists, and hijacking the news cycle with a car crash procession of blustery sound bikes. Legal experts were warning his failure to cooperate with Mueller's investigation could put him in serious legal jeopardy, but Nunberg was in a celebratory mood. So when I talked to Nunberg months ago, uh, he was always in a celebratory mood. This is a guy who is kind of manic. Uh, he said, can you report this? He says, you have to report this. The champ champ does whatever the F he wants. The champ champ apparently is a reference to one of his favorite UFC fighters. And apparently 
He was, he was alternating between an unalloyed bravado and a kind of meta-amusement. So what exactly was he doing? What exactly what he, was he doing? Apparently, the mystery of his motivations had hovered over the day's astonishing events. Theories attempting to explain his bizarre behavior had proliferated quickly, according to Coppins. Some believed he was responding to being caught in a genuine conspiracy, auditioning for immunity, perhaps, or covering up crimes admitted, committed by allies in the president's orbit. But here's Nunberg's own explanation. After being ordered to hand over his past private correspondence with several former Trump advisors, he was sorting through his inbox Monday morning and determined that complying with the subpoena would be an intolerable hassle. He said, after all, I have a life. Okay, that is, that is fully possible. But there is a question to be asked. Okay, let's assume that Sam Nunberg is borderline nuts. Let's say that the guy is a kook, which apparently he is. What's the media's obligation not to put kooks on TV? What's the media's obligation not to put crazy people on TV? Because half the people in politics are totally crazy. Let's say that I had told you back in circa like 2012 that there was some guy who was wandering around saying things like the president of the United States was born in Kenya. Let's say that he was wandering around commenting on Robert Pattinson's relationship with Kirsten Stewart. Uh, let's say that he was wandering around saying weird things about reality TV and also weird things about politics and just sort of generally mouthing off in, in somewhat crazy fashion. Would you put him on TV? The answer is maybe you put him on TV because now he's the president of the United States. In other words, we've had some pretty crazy people in politics for a while. So while I'm ripping on the media, I'm not sure that it's fully justified to rip on the media for putting this guy on TV. I will say I'm not sure the treatment would have been the same if you were an Obama official versus being a Trump official. I also think that there's a difference between people like Jake Tapper uh, or even Ari Melber putting him on TV and people like Aaron Burnett. If Aaron Burnett actually thought that he was drunk, if Aaron Burnett actually thought that, this, uh, that, that Sam Nunberg was a loose cannon off his rocker, then that is irresponsible journalism. But it does raise the question of what kind of journalistic ethics the media have been using recently, and the answer is not very good. You have a lot of partisan hacks on both sides of the aisle who are either willing to cover for the president or willing to slander the president with anything that they can get their hands on. And if they think that Sam Nunberg is going to come out of the woodwork and ramble on incessantly about crazy things, they will put him on the air just for the sake of putting him on the air, which is not a good look. It's really not a good look for the media, and it's... Uh, and you know, they should be a little bit more careful. Apparently, he was booked for, like, the Today Show this morning. It's easy if you're Omarosa, apparently. Yeah, but look, some of the responsibility here also falls on the Trump campaign. Uh, they, they really have to stop hiring uh, top men from the end of Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? The, their top men are not top men, and Sam Nunberg is just more proof of that. Okay, so, meanwhile, intersectionality continues to make people on the left insanely stupid. So overnight, literally over a 24-hour period, there were a bevy of anti-right-wing disruptions on campus. So Christina Hoff, uh, Christina Hoff Summers, a friend of mine, uh, the factual feminist, she's a professor, she was speaking about feminism, and she was speaking about the, the failures of the social justice warrior program, and she was shouted down. This is at a law school. Okay, so this, is, this was happening at Lewis and Clark Law School, which is one of the better schools in the country, and a coalition of student groups had demanded that what they called known fascist Christina Hoff Summers be no platform, meaning that they shouldn't allow her to speak. And they, they put out, the, the Portland National Lawyers Guild put out a statement saying, we are proud of our student chapter for taking a concerted stand against fascist, racist, and misogynistic views being broadcasted on campus. The National Lawyers Guild Lewis and Clark chapter is joined with the Minority Law Students Association, Black Law Students Association, Women's Law Caucus, Immigration Student Group, Jewish Law Society, Latino Law Society, Outlaw, and Lewis and Clark Young Democratic Socialists of America to ask the Federalist Society to rescind their invitation. They did not. They did not rescind the invitation. And, um, and Christina Huff Summers showed up anyway. I really like Christina. She is a charming woman. Uh, and not only is she charming, she's also quite intelligent and, had, quite intelligent and has a lot to say. She is not a fascist, okay? There's no evidence that she's a fascist, and the, the attempt to boil down fascism to anything I don't like is simply idiotic. It, it, which is more fascist? Christina Hoff Summers coming and speaking about the, the lies of the feminist movement, or the people who are suggesting that they should actually be able to shut down her lecture by use of force? Okay, that seems a little more fascist to me. So here's a little bit of the video when Christina started trying to start her lecture last night at Lewis and Clark Law School.
Okay, nothing quite says bucking trends like repeating verbatim, word for word, what people are telling you to say. Nothing really says that you're thinking for yourself quite like repeating in North Korean fashion exactly what your dictator tells you to say. Pretty amazing. I love that the woman who's walking around here with a jacket saying, stay woke, is <laughs> just standing at the front and shouting at people. And then, according to Christina, what happened is that the diversity officer from the university came up to her and asked her to cut short her lecture and go directly to Q&A instead of finishing her lecture. Just absolute class shown by the university over at Lewis and Clark. Disgusting stuff, but not a shock. I remember they tried to do this to me over at University of Wisconsin. Uh, if I were Christina, I immediately would have done exactly what I did at University of Wisconsin. She's got an entire whiteboard behind her. That gives her the ability to create some pretty fun visuals with the people who are standing right there. I remember I, uh, I, I wrote on the blackboard, it was a rising blackboard at University of Wisconsin, I wrote in very large letter idiots with, with an arrow pointing to the people who were protesting. Uh, and so that was in all the pictures, which is kind of funny. Um, I, I would have recommended to Christina that she do that as well. It's just, it's asinine. But that wasn't the only place this was happening yesterday. So my friend Jordan Peterson, uh, he was speaking over in, uh, over in Canada. At, uh, I'm trying to remember which university this was. And while he was speaking, it was Queen's University. And while he was speaking, people started banging on the windows, trying to shatter the, the windows at this church. I mean, it's happening in Grant Hall, I guess. So I'm not sure if it was a church or if it was just a lecture hall. Uh, and people started banging on the windows, people attempting to stop the lecture. Uh, they were followed by a bunch of violent people afterward. Here's a little bit of the video from Jordan Peterson's lecture. Again, this is all happening in the same 48-hour period, just demonstrating to you how intersectionality has made the left completely insane. Okay, so well done for the college. Where is their security? Why is security not removing those people? Why is security not preventing those people from disrupting the lecture? The answer is because security allows people to do all this sort of stuff because they don't want to be seen as repressive of the actual repressive forces. It's the same reason I get shuttled to satellite campuses at University of Minnesota. It's the reason they shut my lectures to the public at University of Connecticut and University of California, Los Angeles and University of California, Berkeley. It's the reason why we have trouble at every campus because the administrators are too chicken bleep to actually stand up to the violent people. Okay, and it's not just them. It's not just them. There was another case of this last night as well. And I will tell you about that case and I will tell you more about the intersectional failures of the left in just a second. First, I want to say thank you to our sponsors over at Indochino. So... Nothing makes you look better than a custom-made suit. Nothing, right? You're going to, to instead a department store and you buy one of these things off the rack and then a tailor has to reverse engineer it. Instead, you should be getting your suit made from scratch, just like James Bond. That's what Indochino is for. It's the world's largest made-to-measure menswear company. They've been featured in major publications, including GQ, Forbes, and Fast Company. They make shoots, uh, suits, shirts made to your exact measurements for a fantastic fit. And here's how it works. They have showrooms all over the country. You can go there where they have one in Los Angeles, or you can shop online at Indochino.com. You pick your fabric, you choose your customizations, you submit your measurements. It's actually a really fun process. I've done it myself. My favorite suit is a three-piece powder blue suit. That's right. Sometimes the Shapiro gets creative with his dress. And I wear that to, to synagogue. It is, it is one of my favorite suits, and it fits the best of any of my suits because it's custom made. This week, my listeners can get any premium Indochino suit for just $379 at Indochino.com when you enter Shapiro at checkout. That's Indochino.com. Enter Shapiro at checkout. 50% off the regular price for a made-to-measure premium suit, and shipping is free. So it's Indochino.com, promo code Shapiro. Okay, so again, Indochino, I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O, Indochino.com, promo code Shapiro. And again, any premium suit, 379 bucks and free shipping. It's an incredible deal for a suit that's going to fit you better than anything else you're going to be able to get. Use that promo code Shapiro to make sure you get the $379 deal. Okay, so it wasn't just Christina. It wasn't just Jordan Peterson. It was also Yaron Brook. So Yaron Brook is an objectivist, uh, meaning that he is a devotee of Ayn Rand. Uh, I find his thought really interesting. He and I disagree about uh, about some things, obviously, because I'm not an objectivist. I think that Ayn Rand is great on economics and not great when it comes to extending her philosophy to personal relationships. But in any case, he was speaking at, at King's College, I guess, uh, and he, in, in Britain, and an Antifa mob showed up and shut him down. So here's what that looked like. breaks out. One of the students who's doing the filming is attacked. Just wonderful stuff. According to the examiner, uh, this is the London examiner, I believe, 
Uh, the violent protests also broke out around uh, outside after around 200 students were turned away when King's College decided to prevent non-students from attending the event. Again, King's College did exactly what so many colleges have done to me. They've suggested that people should not be allowed to attend from the outside world. Students told the examiner they believed King's College turned a blind eye to the Antifa members because they disagreed with the contents of the speech, but they couldn't legally prevent Yaron Brook and Sargon, uh, Sargon of Akkad, who's kind of a YouTube figure, from speaking on campus. Students who waited outside the auditorium became enmeshed in a protest the school knew was coming, and Antifa released smoke bombs and threw punches. Students were in the line of fire. One student told the news organization, quote, I feel strongly the university caves into the Antifa protesters. They need to protect speech and not prevent people from joining peacefully. They changed criteria just 2.5 hours prior to the event, despite it having been scheduled for months. I'm very disappointed in an institution, a top university in the world, acting cowardly like this. Okay, and but this has become obviously the thing the left does. Now, why is the left so angry at Christina Hoff Summers or Jordan Peterson or Yaron Brook and Sargon of Akkad? Why, why are they so angry at these people? Well, because all of these people violate the tenets of intersectionality. Intersectionality is the philosophy. It's identity politics. It's the philosophy that says your identity as a person is your group identity. You're not an individual. You are a group identity. So you're a black guy. You are not a person with individual viewpoints. And if you're a black guy, your viewpoint should be of the left because otherwise you're not truly black. If you're a Jewish person, you must be of the left because as we all know, Jews vote Democrat. And that means that if you're Jewish and you're not of the Democratic left, then you must not be a good representative of Judaism, you must not be a good Jew, and therefore we rip away your intersectional identity. Okay, the, the foolishness of this obvious, is pretty obvious and pretty astonishing, but unfortunately, uh, it has infused the entire left. It really has infused a large portion of the left, identity politics predominating over meaningful discourse, over meaningful discourse. And it's not just these idiotic students, these Antifa members attempting to shut down debate on college campuses. The most obvious example uh, it happened actually last night. Uh, so my good friend, Bethany Mandel, who used to write over at Commentary Magazine, she writes for The Federalist on occasion, uh, and Bethany does a podcast as well. So Bethany had one of the worst childhood experiences ever, right? So Bethany grew up dirt poor in a trailer park. Uh, she, her, her mom died. She had to pull the plug on her mom when she was 16. Her dad committed suicide when, he was, when she was 19. Uh, her dad was a drug addict, apparently. Uh, and all of this is to say that Bethany's life story is not exactly a bed of roses. She converted to Judaism. She married my friend Seth. Uh, they have a bunch of kids, really wonderful people. She wrote a piece for the New York Times over the weekend, and I think it came out Monday, in which she talked about her experiences and why she owns a gun. And the reason she says she owns a gun is because when she was growing up, she was living with her mom. Her dad had already taken off. And somebody legitimately, they, they were living, I guess, in an apartment on, on the second story. Some robber put a ladder to her window and attempted to climb in her window right, when she was a kid. And her mom walked in with a gun that she had, with a, with a rifle that she had, and pointed it at the window and said to Bethany, move aside or you're going to get brains, honey, basically. <laughs> and when the guy showed up at the top of the window, she said to him, you better run or I'm going to shoot you. Uh, and that was the end of that. And so Bethany said, as I got a lot, Bethany got a lot of death threats in the last election cycle. She was not pro-Trump. And so she bought a gun in the aftermath of that. Well, Shannon Watts is a, is a gun control warrior. Shannon Watts uh, is, is a radical gun control advocate. And, uh, and she decided to attack Bethany for being white. She said that Bethany suffered from white privilege. So do we have some of those tweets? Uh, this is 14. So Shannon Watts attacked Bethany Mandel. Um, and, uh, and what she said was, this New York Times uh, paired this op-ed by a white woman based on her anecdotes of fear and paranoia instead of actual gun safety data with a photo of a woman of color. How dare the New York Times suggest that women of color and women who are white might have common interests when it comes to having a gun? I mean, never mind that there's an actual picture of a woman shopping for a gun right there who's a woman of color. Apparently, according to Shannon Watts, that person doesn't exist. But then she says that Beth, all Bethany is is a white woman full of fear and paranoia. Not that she had a personal experience with somebody trying to break into her house or not that she received death threats. Bethany is just a typical white woman, and if she really were not white, then she would understand the threat that guns pose. Uh, and then it gets even worse, right? She actually tweeted out uh, a bunch of nastiness about Bethany. She suggested that Bethany was actually a racist, right? Shannon Watts actually suggested that Bethany was a racist for wanting to protect herself from neo-Nazis, which is just all class. And again, all this comes down to is that intersectional politics. Right? Uh, all this comes down to is, is a nasty intersectional politics because, again, you know, Bethany's story has nothing to do with her color. But according to Shannon, White, that is Shannon Watts, that is all that matters. She says that the problem with America right now is that people are making gun laws based on emotion, 
not data. And Bethany replied, I'm sorry, you have, been have you not been promoting the Parkland students' emotions for the last two weeks? Or are we only allowed to base decisions on certain emotions? And Shannon Watts suggested, quote, your privilege in feeling that a gun will make you safer is in part because you are white. CDC data actually shows the opposite about gun ownership. So Bethany says, a guy tried to climb in my bedroom and kill me when I was a kid, uh, and my mom scared him off with a gun. And Shannon Watts' reply was, you only care about this because you are white. And then Bethany said, I took my mom off life support at 16, had my father hang himself when I was 19, and grew up in a single wide trailer in Northrop's trailer park in upstate New York. Besides that, I've been truly hashtag blessed, right? Shannon Watts replied, quote, Again, your white skin makes you less likely to be at risk as a gun owner, regardless of your hard scrabble background. I guess you don't believe in racism. Okay, so suddenly Bethany doesn't believe in racism because she's actually been threatened by a guy climbing in her window. The intersectionality here is just astonishing. Intersectionality, again, making people stupid every single day. And I'm going to give you another example of intersectionality making people insane and stupid in just a second. First, you're going to have to go over to dailywire.com and subscribe. So for $9.99 a month, you can get a subscription to dailywire.com. When you do, you get the rest of our show live. You get the rest of the Michael Moles show live. You get the rest of the Andrew Clavin show live. You get, the, you get to be part of the mailbag, which we are doing here on Friday. And it'll be great. You're going to want to be part of it. So you'll get all of those glories for $9.99 a month. Plus, our next episode of The Conversation is coming up Tuesday, March 13th, 5.30 p.m. Eastern, 2.30 p.m. Pacific, featuring your favorite human, me, Ben Shapiro. Subscribe today to be a part of the conversation so I can answer your questions in this hour-long live Q&A. My conversation will stream live on the Ben Shapiro Facebook page and the Daily Wire YouTube channel. It will be free for everyone to watch. Only subscribers can ask the questions. To ask questions as a subscriber, all you have to do is log into our website, dailywire.com, head over to the conversation page to watch the live stream. After that, you just start typing into that Daily Wire chat box, and I will answer questions as they come in for an entire hour. Once again, subscribe right now. Get your questions answered by me, Ben Shapiro, on Tuesday, March 13th at 5.30 p.m. Eastern, 2.30 p.m. Pacific, and join the conversation. If you want to get all of those things and the Leftist Tears Hot or Cold Tumblr, the, the world-famous, never-duplicated Tumblr, $99 a year will do it. Go over to dailywire.com, become an annual subscriber. Please, it always helps us. Uh, it helps us bring you the show every single day when you become a subscriber. So if, you wanna, if you're asking how you can help, that's one way you can help. Go over and subscribe, and you get all those privileges and immunities as well. Uh, if you just want to listen later, iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, YouTube, please subscribe. Leave us a review. It always helps. We are the largest, fastest-growing conservative podcast in the nation. Alrighty, so speaking of intersectionality, making people insanely stupid. So as I've been tracing over the course of the last few weeks, uh, Louis Farrakhan is one of the more disgusting characters in American public life. He is the head of the Nation of Islam. He is an open anti-Semite. He calls Jews satanic. Uh, he suggests that white people are devils. He is the worst of the worst of the worst. And a couple of the heads of the Women March, Women's March are big fans of his. Uh, they have been defended in turn by Linda Sarsour, another anti-Semite, uh, who has defended Louis Farrakhan, or at least the people who defend Louis Farrakhan. And people who are associated with the Women's March could say, ladies, it's time to, it's time to cast out Louis Farrakhan. Instead, advocates of the Women's March say, our intersectionality makes us allies. In other words, yes, I'm a Jew, and I'm a member of the Women's March, but I'm not insulted by the fact that Louis Farrakhan is backed by top members of the Women's March because... We have common interests. Our common interest is in tearing down the patriarchy. So I'm not going to speak up. I'm not going to say anything about the nastiness inside my own movement. Now, I hate this kind of stuff. When it was identity politics of the right, I said so. I don't like tribalism. Tribalism on the right suggested that when the Trump campaign was making common cause with the alt-right, that was totally okay because Hillary Clinton had to be taken down. And I said, no, that's not okay. It's not only counterproductive politically, it's immoral. You can't make light of the alt-right. You can't pretend these are nice people. You can't pretend that the actual anti-Semites out there are people who ought to be brought into the fold because you share a common cause with them. That's intersectionality, identity politics of the right, and it's gross. I was one of the lead advocates on that score. On the left, however, the same people who were saying that the alt-right was gross and Trump had to throw them off, which is correct, are now saying that the Women's March is totally fine. They have no problem with anti-Semitism, even though top leaders of the Women's March are now obviously in league with open anti-Semites. There's an article over at theforward.com talking about this, talking about this unfortunate tendency, uh, which has been largely ignored by the mainstream media, by the way. Jake Tapper at CNN being the lone exception. So there's a, a woman named, um, named Sophie Elman Golan. She's a, a passionate feminist. She's a, she runs communications for the Women's March. And now she has ripped into a couple of these members of the Women's March. She tweeted, quote, I'm tired of our movements not taking anti-Semitism seriously. It's not okay. It's taking a toll on me and on all Jewish people on the left. We are tired 
and heartbroken. Okay, and, but what's amazing is how people on the left have responded to that. What's amazing is how people on the left have responded to the fact that uh, Tamika Mallory, who is a member of the Women's March, a top member of the Women's March, has repeatedly praised and associated with Farrakhan, participated in a rally with him last week at which he maligned Jews as the spawn of Satan. She's a former executive director of Reverend Al Sharpton's National Action Network. Al Sharpton, again, another notorious anti-Semite who is, again, featured in mainstream media on a repeat basis. Farrakhan is the leading anti-Semite in the United States. He has claimed that Adolf Hitler was a very great man. It's not just Tamika Mallory. Uh, there is another woman who is associated with the Women's March who was involved. We talked about this in the last couple of days. So they went and asked over at Forward.com a bunch of intersectional leaders on the left who are Jews about this. And you can see how identity politics trumps everything. But identity politics doesn't actually mean standing up for your identity as a Jew. It means standing up for the idea that you are a member of a dispossessed class. So here's one of the funny things about being a member of an identity group. Being a member of an identity group doesn't mean that there's any spe anything special about your identity group. The only thing about your identity group that matters in identity politics is that it is anti the quote-unquote establishment, is that it seeks to tear down the hierarchy, that it seeks to break apart the status quo. So it doesn't matter that there are differences between black folks and Jews on politics. It doesn't matter there's a difference between Muslims and Jews, certainly, on politics. So long as they all claim common cause in tearing down the structure, they're all members of the same group. So this is why people are constantly asking the question, why is it that folks on the left seem so tolerant of radical Muslims when radical Muslims are totally anti-gay, they're totally anti-women's rights, they're totally anti-liberalism? Why is it that so many members of the left, like you'll see LGBT groups match, marching arm in arm with people who support Hamas? Why is that? Why is that? And the answer is because as member of identity groups, they don't actually have solidarity within identity groups against other identity groups. The purpose of the identity group is to band together in this great cohesive unit of the so-called dispossessed to fight against the broader spectrum. So radical Muslims don't have anything in common with the LGBT crowd, but they do have common cause in tearing down what they see as America's terrible, terrible superstructure of racism and oppression. And so they will overlook the evils of the other in order so that they can tear down. They're allies of convenience and allies of identity. That's the, that's the idea here. So Jill Jacobs, who's just gross, she's executive director of TRUA, the rabbinic call for human rights, Rabbi Jill Jacobs, who knows less about Judaism than my four-year-old daughter. She says, what Louis Farrakhan said is disgusting and inexcusable. I don't think one can dismiss the entire movement, and certainly not the entire progressive world, because of a statement by one person or two people. Okay, imagine that this were said about David Duke and the alt-right. Let's say that there are a bunch of members of the alt-right associated with David Duke, which they have. And let's say that somebody said, listen, David Duke is just deplorable. He's disgusting. He's awful. But are you really going to slander the entire alt-right because David Duke? Are you really going to do that? And the answer is, yeah, kind of. I mean, if you tolerate this stuff, then you become a party to it. Judy Levy is executive director of the Jewish Council on Urban Affairs, and she made excuses for it as well. She said, people don't always express themselves on every single issue in ways that we would, that we would be comfortable. But it's really important that when we share values, we work together to raise up the urgent issues that we all face. And there it is, in a nutshell, identity politics is about the common cause. It is not about actually standing up for your identity group even. And Sharon Browse, who spoke at the 2017's Women's March, uh, she is at least attempting to do something right. She said, there's no room in a multi-faith, multi-ethnic coalitional movement for anti-Semitism, homophobia, or transphobia. In a Big Ten movement, there has to be room for disagreement, but certain core values must stand at the forefront. Yeah, except that these women are not going to be tossed out. Linda Sarsour is still being cheered. And Linda Sarsour, by the way, is not only being cheered inside the Women's March, Linda Sarsour is being cheered over at UConn. So it turns out that she's supposed to speak at University of Connecticut. And when she speaks at University of Connecticut, she is, uh, she is not going to have to have tremendous security, nor are the students being offered preliminary counseling. So you'll recall that when I spoke at University of Connecticut, the general public was barred. You'll also recall that the administration sent out a full letter to the student body suggesting that if they needed preliminary counseling, because I was going to say something so terrible, that that would be available. Linda Sarsour has said Zionists cannot be feminists. Linda Sarsour has repeatedly supported terrorists. Linda Sarsour is one of the worst people in American politics. She is a radical. And yet she is being treated as royalty at UConn while I was treated as basically uh, a David Duke type, which is precisely the opposite of the truth when it comes to me versus Linda Sarsour. So pretty amazing. But again, all that matters is the identity politics. And it's infused the entire Democratic Party. It's one of the reasons they're looking at candidates like Kamala Harris. It's the reason they're looking at Cory Booker. It's the reason they're looking at, at Julian Castro as opposed to looking at Joe Biden. The good news for, for Republicans is that the more the Democrats engage in this broader identity politics movement, the more they engage in intersectional, intersectionality, 
which was mentioned, by the way, at the Oscars by Ashley Judd, talking about intersectionality. The more the left tries to suggest that they are a coalition of the dispossessed fighting the, the great power structure, the more Americans think, I don't want any part of these people. I don't want anything to do with these people. The left is alienating more people with its identity politics than it's drawing in. Now, they're banking on the idea that the changing demographics of the United States are going to create an intersectional majority coalition. But I don't think that's the case because, again, I think people are individuals, not members of identity groups. And I think people will turn away if they're treated as individuals from the stupidity and malice of the intersectional movement. All right. So in other news, uh, I, wanted to, uh, I wanted to point, today is, is normally a day when we would do deconstructing uh, the culture. But instead of doing deconstructing the culture at the end of the show, I wanted to point out a bit of a controversy over The Bachelor. So the, I mentioned the other day uh, a very funny show called The Good Place. It's on network TV. I think you can also get it on Netflix. I don't even know what channel it's on because I cut the cord a long time ago. But uh, The Good Place has a joke in it where they're talking about uh, people who get into heaven. And the people who get into heaven are apparently the people who do not watch The Bachelor. Uh, like This is one of the actual criteria, that if you watch The Bachelor and you have emotional investment in The Bachelor, it makes you a bad person. Well, I think that that's probably true. So ABC, <laughs> I'm sure there are good people who watch The Bachelor, but they are wasting their time and their life force. Um, so last night on The Bachelor, you wonder why our country got so stupid. You wonder why our country has turned into an emotional basket case. Maybe it's because we watch reality TV and we think it's actual reality, and then we invest obviously fictionalized stories with the power of true human emotions. So the Bachelor, apparently, I didn't watch one minute of The Bachelor this season, so forgive me if I slightly botched this story. Apparently, The Bachelor had picked one woman as the woman he was going to marry, and then it turns out that he divorced her, and it, well, he didn't divorce her. He broke up with her after they were engaged and got together with the second-place finisher. Now, what I would say about the second-place finisher is, have you no pride, woman? Have you no gumption? If a guy throws you over for another girl, and then he leaves that other girl back for you, have you no sense of... of self-worth that you would go with that guy. But here's what it looked like on The Bachelor. And of course, this is exploitative television in every way. These people signed up for it, so it's hard to feel terrible for them. But uh, it really is kind of yucky that so many people find meaning uh, in what is obviously stagecraft. Do you want a few minutes to yourself, or do you want me just to go? I want you to go. Was it truly the most shocking finale in Bachelor history? Oh, my in a three-hour special episode Monday night, viewers saw Ari Leyendijk Jr. break up with Lauren Burnham. He just completely blindsided me. And he proposed to Becca Kufrin. I choose you today, but I choose you every day from here on out. Only to dump Kufrin in a raw, painful, unedited scene. You shouldn't have gotten done on one knee. He told her he wanted to try again with Lauren. I just felt the further along we got, the further I started drifting away from the possibility of trying it again with her. Well, yeah, because that's a normal relationship. And this may only be the start of the fallout. Franchise favorite Becca Martinez revealed Monday night that the 36-year-old had been sending her a few private messages. They seem harmless, but still, <laughs> that is messaging an ex. Super duper classy, super duper classy. And then all of America gets invested in this kind of tawdry nonsense. And we wonder why reality TV star ended up being president. Hey, just a little bit of data for those of you who are fans of The Bachelor. In 20 seasons of The Bachelor, 12 men have actually popped the question on air. However, of those 20, of those 20 seasons, two of the couples are still together. One is married. Okay, that is a worse ratio than people who are going down to the bar, getting drunk, and hitting on people. That is an awful, awful ratio. Okay, so it's a little bit better on The Bachelorette, apparently. The Bachelorette, um, I guess that uh, they've had a couple of successes. So season seven, they had a success. Season nine, they had a success. Uh, and uh, season 11 and season 12, I guess people are still together. But it's not, it's like 50%. So the, the, the notion that any of this is real is just absurd. Of course, it's not real. But when we get caught up in investing our emotions in reality TV, which is all being produced behind the scenes. But my mom is a reality TV producer, okay? My mom has done this stuff. I've watched raw footage of reality TV shows before. It is nothing like what appears on television. They can make virtually anything appear interesting and fascinating. Uh, reality TV is not. But it just demonstrates once and for all that there are a lot of people who are who are finding value in, in relationship stuff that has nothing to do with relationships. So I was asked a question recently at, uh, at a college, I think it was at University of Minnesota, about whether a leftist should date a conservative. Now, what I said is if you're dating for marriage, which is supposedly what The Bachelor or The Bachelorette are about, if you're dating for those things, the first thing you should be talking about is values. Has there ever been an episode of The Bachelor or The Bachelorette where people actually talked about values? 
where they actually talked about what they wanted their lives to look like? Or is it more just, we'll jet set off to the most romantic location, and then we will hang out together until we fall in love. And we'll wear really sexy outfits and go in the jacuzzi together. Okay, again, all of this is really dumb. None of it is built for relationships, but this is what relationships have become. And then we're surprised when people imitate what they see on TV and ignore values in relationships. No wonder people are not sticking together. They're not sticking together because we have a stupid idea of how adult relationships are supposed to work, largely promulgated by the media. Okay, time for some things I like and then some things that I hate. So, things that I like, uh, since we did uh, The Good Place yesterday, I figured we'll do some heaven-themed stuff this week. So, a, a, an underrated movie, uh, What Dreams May Come with Robin Williams. The visuals in this movie are really what make it interesting. Uh, Robin, anytime you watch a Robin Williams movie, it's really sad to watch Robin Williams movies now, obviously because of what happened to him, uh, but it's uh, what he did to himself, but it's, um, the, the movie is, is quite moving, uh, and I think that it works. Max von Sydow is in it. Here's a little bit of the trailer. I'm a doctor. <laughs> Don't move. The moment that comes for everyone. has come for Chris Nielsen. You've died, Chris. If heaven is a place where you know only joy. Oh! Boy, I screwed up. I'm in dog heaven. You're creating an entire world here. From your imagination, from anything you want. Where you feel no more fear. I'm gonna drown. You can't, you're already dead. Oh. And anything you can imagine. Yeah! is real. It's your Could you let go hey! of the love you left behind? I need Annie. That'll change in time. Time! Okay, so the, mo the, movie is, the movie is actually quite moving, uh, and it really works. One of the things about Robin Williams as an actor is you can see that the man was a truly troubled individual, uh, and you can always see there's a sort of pain behind his eyes, and in this movie, it really works for him. Uh, so check out What Dreams May Come Worthwhile Watching. Okay, other things that I like, Nikki Haley, my spirit animal at the UN. Uh, so she was speaking at APAC yesterday, and uh, she talked about Israel and the United Nations. The United Nations, of course, is uh, the most isolated of, of actual life. Uh, here is Nikki Haley talking about the UN. At the UN and throughout the UN agencies, Israel does get bullied. It gets bullied because the countries that don't like Israel are used to being able to get away with it. Well, just like when I was that little girl in South Carolina, that just doesn't sit well with me. Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. That's a fact. And President Trump had the courage to recognize that fact when others would not. The United Nations spends half of its time attacking only one country. We will not accept it any longer. Yeah, good for Nikki Haley. This is one of the best things about the Trump administration. It's one area where they've bucked foreign policy conventional wisdom, and they've done really well with it. Okay, time for some things that I hate. Okay, so apparently the, the hatred of guns is so strong now that the dating app Bumble has announced that it will ban profile photos with guns in them in response to the shooting at Parkland. A statement on the Bumble website said the company will now moderate all photos for the presence of guns, excluding users who are in military or law enforcement uniforms in their photos. So if you are a gun-packing woman, then you cannot be on Bumble with that picture. They also announced they would donate $100,000 to the March for Our Lives, that anti-gun violence march organized by the survivors of the Parkland shooting. Again, is any of that worthwhile? Is any of that going to stop violence with guns? Of course not. It's all virtue signaling. But so much of corporate culture has now become virtue signaling uh, that it's, it's actually really troubling. It's one of the reasons, by the way, that you are seeing a change in the actual way that news is done, the way that the news industry is done. So if you look at Facebook, Facebook is now changing its algorithm. YouTube has been changing its algorithm. They're downgrading anything that has mildly controversial content. They're attempting to weed out stuff that gets people excited or gets people irritated or confronts them with news they don't want to see because advertisers are getting blowback from people on this, supposedly. Or at least advertisers don't want to be associated with controversial opinions. Okay, the, the reason this is a real problem is because what this does, it actually ensures that people are going to go to their own bubbles. Because the way that the model works on places like Facebook or YouTube is their ad-supported model. So, you know, if you get our show on YouTube, for example, then YouTube may play an ad beforehand or they may demonetize. One of our videos, they may take the ads off beforehand. Well, if they do that to people who are totally reliant on ad support, or if they do it to Dave Rubin, for example, then that forces people to give money to Rubin, to subscribe to Rubin in order to get that content. And what that means 
is that Dave Rubin's crowd of people from whom he is drawing money is going to be smaller than it normally would be. So would ours be. So would Stephen Crowder's be. So would Joe Rogan's be. Right? Anybody who gets demonetized on a regular basis is going to have to rely on a subscription model. Well, subscription models are by nature opt-in models. That means that people who are not familiar with the content are not going to subscribe. And that means that if you're familiar with the New York Times, you're never going to see an opposing viewpoint. If you're familiar with Daily Wire, you're never going to see an opposing viewpoint. It actually ensures that the bubbles are strengthened. So corporate weakness in these areas is really bad for the country. And it's one of the reasons why Media Matters has done such awful work in trying to go after advertisers simply for advertising on sites that carry messages that they may, that they may not like. I think it's a really dangerous business uh, in, the, in which they are engaging. OK, other things that I, that I hate. And so worthwhile noting, the West Virginia teacher strike is apparently still continuing. And they were talking about settling it this morning. I'm not sure if they have finally settled it or not. Uh, it's in its second week. This strike is illegal. So basically, a bunch of teachers in West Virginia are striking against the state of West Virginia in order to get higher pay. Uh, I don't like public sector unions because they're striking against the taxpayer. This is why public sector unions should be illegal. It should not be legal for people to strike against the taxpayer. Can you imagine the cops striking against the taxpayer? We're just not going to do our job. We're just going to walk off. Okay, the, the state should have to pay whatever it is that people are willing to take, but this is why unions that actually get together and band together and then have people walk out in order to deprive the taxpayers of services that we are owed for the tax money that we are paying uh, are, are really, really bad. Now, do I blame the teachers who are members of the unions? No, but I, do blame the, but I do blame the union itself and the state for engaging in this, in this sort of negotiation. They should have filed a legal case, an injunction against the union uh, on, on this, and they should have gone back to what West Virginia's law is, which is right to work. They should have just gone to individual teachers and hired the individual teachers back at prices that they are willing to pay and prices that the teachers are willing to work for. Okay, we'll be back here tomorrow with all the latest. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Mathis Glover, executive producer Jeremy Boring, senior producer Jonathan Hay. Our technical producer is Austin Stevens, edited by Alex Zingaro. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire Forward Publishing production. Copyright Forward Publishing 2018. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick-charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. PureTalk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So... I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 